I was just going through the motions before, you know, going working, coming home, drinking, going to bed, doing the same thing every day. I was happy just to be looked over and to be forgotten about, do my own thing. But now this has happened, I'm like, right, I'm in a position where people can look up to me. It's yeah. almost nice to be the person that people look at and they're like, oh, he's happy now. Come a very long way. That's Seb Steele. A year ago, his leg was crushed under a forklift in a workplace accident. My boot got caught in between the ground and the wheel of a forklift and basically just sucked me underneath it. The brutal moment of Seb's injury was only the beginning of the immense mental and physical pain that followed. I was scared to be alone in there because I was just so, I was so low at the time. There was nothing I could do. Surgery after surgery led to letdown after letdown and when Seb finally got his wish of a leg amputation, it didn't go the way he'd imagined. I was like, I can't do this anymore. I, this is just too much, like I keep getting I keep moving forward one step and then just it felt like I was just getting thrown 50 steps back. In the face of all that adversity, Seb now sees himself as a better man, proud of who he is and ready to inspire. Welcome to Young Blood, an award-winning podcast on a mission to make the mental health of young men a top priority. My name's Callum McPherson, I'm a journalist and this is our platform to open up and share stories of what we've been through because we're not alone. Let's do it. Trigger warning, if you find anything spoken about in today's episode distressing, please contact Lifeline on 13 11 14. Seb, who were you before the accident? Well, I was a 19-year-old forklift driver who wasn't really going places anywhere. Did have a pretty bright future ahead of me when I was much younger, but I kind of threw that away pretty quickly to, you know, party and have fun and whatnot. Just live my life a bit bit differently back then and um, yeah basically leading up to the accident I was pretty pretty tired all the time which didn't help me in the long run but yeah how did you see yourself I wasn't you know really happy but I was like yeah this is fun keep doing what's fun but now looking back it's just you know massive waste of two years and you don't really get that back but mm. You live in your land, I But guess. you couldn't really appreciate that at the time. No. I suppose nothing catastrophic's ever happened exactly. to you before. And especially when we're young men, we think we're invincible. Like, yeah. I think we've got all the time in the world and nothing bad's going to happen. It's yeah. not, not until something does that it sort of can shake up our perspective. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It really does. It changes your perspective on life in, well, in my case, a very good way. So where do you think you were sort of going at that time before the accident happened? I struggled with depression pretty pretty badly so i you know didn't really see myself living past what 20 23 24 probably how yeah. far does that go back that goes back as long as i can remember really started getting help pretty late when i was about year eight or nine i was kind of you know pushing it off don't really want to do this because you know i was a boy didn't want to kind of admit that mm. i was sad mm which was pretty foolish, but um, a lot changed when I started to get help. Anything in particular that you could point to through that time in your life, or was it just like a collective build-up, or did it seem to be just the way you were? Yeah, so um, I was I was really, I wasn't good at school at all. That was not my thing. I'd accepted that, but 
it still kind of got to me a lot. Like I couldn't, didn't really learn how to read until year nine. Couldn't write, couldn't do maths, couldn't do anything. All I could do was really, you know, use my hands, play sport, whatnot. Like it was... So self-esteem wise, that made you feel like... Yeah. Well, I tried to pull it off as kind of like, oh, it's cool. I'm, I'm not trying at school. Yeah. I'm just not trying. Where really, like in my head, uh, yeah, I was really flat that people were kind of like, they'd take the piss out of me and then I'd, the only thing I could do was kind of take the piss out of myself in a uh, way. As a defence. Yeah, instead of being like, hang on, it's not nice. Yeah, just... And if you don't try, then you can't fail. Yeah, you exactly. That if you tried, you'd fail, so you didn't, didn't yeah. sort of bother. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. So it was a long three years, I reckon, from about year, yeah, year seven to year nine or... But you had actually made some progress and ended up yes. feeling a bit better? So I was moving moving forward slowly. I, you know, went from psychologist to psychologist, just couldn't talk to any of them, mm. couldn't figure it out. Just got really frustrated in myself, which obviously made things much worse. Um, then I found a really nice guy that I'm still talking to to this day. who really helped me get through lots and lots of things. But I... I reckon in year nine, I reckon I ended up coming out, telling everyone kind of my struggles and my issues. I posted on Facebook and um, mm. I kind of like posted it and I was like, oh shit, like what have yeah. I done? Yeah. Then I was like, nah, leave it. I put my phone down and I'll go to sleep. And I woke up in the morning and it had like blown up. It was it had like two, two and a half thousand likes, heaps of shares, I had millions of messages, which made me feel really good but then I almost felt like I'd come to school and people would be like kind of looking at me differently and treating me differently like and it sympathy. was just yeah and I was I wasn't like that I was I was happy to you know you keep going the way I was. You didn't actually want the attention? No yeah that I didn't post it in the hope of getting attention I just posted it because I, I just remember being so drained from kind of putting on a mask mm. I was known to you know just take the piss be pretty funny yeah played a lot of sports and stuff like that part of your process of trying to move beyond that exactly so it it took it took so much to be able to post that Mm. yeah i remember getting a lot of messages from people that people that i thought were the exact same as me in the fact of they were just you know light-hearted people didn't realize they were struggling but then you got hundreds of messages from just blokes that were like yeah no, I'm struggling big time as well. Yeah, and that's that was powerful stuff. Yeah, it was re- that was you'd, really amazing. You'd never imagine it. Either. I know. As a but year it's nine, always the case. Like, I had like twenty year olds texting me and stuff, and I was in like year nine. I was like, oh my god, mm. maybe it was the right thing to do. So that was that was pretty cool. So you'd already had a pretty in depth experience with mental health by the time you got to the day of your accident. Yeah, um, I was pretty pretty depressed I'd gotten to the point of like almost suicide multiple times throughout schooling I'd self-harmed all of that stuff like that pre-accident I can you know see that very clearly now that you know I could have helped myself a bit better probably could have came out earlier and instead of took the piss out of myself once you met that psychologist and you'd been working with him was it at a point where it was it was better or you weren't suicidal or were you still struggling that much right before the accident working almost made me made me happy so this guy i met when i was really young and i was just like when i first met him, i was like oh fuck like 
psychologist, here we go. Mm. Didn't give him the time of day. Didn't give him anything. And he kept persisting, like, every week, like, yeah, come in, come and talk. Well, without him, I don't reckon I'd be here today. So that, I'm obviously very appreciative and thankful for his efforts to try and keep me going through. But when you had a job, you had purpose. You felt yeah. like you were, you were useful. I would work so hard that I didn't, nothing else was going through my head. Mm. I was working regularly 18 hours a day, just Fair pumping out. out work in a freezer. And then that's because you didn't want to give yourself time to think? Yeah, I don't reckon I ever had free time while I was working. I just, because I wouldn't want to, like I wouldn't, I know that I, how I'd feel if I would stop working because I'd be tired, I'd be hungover or whatever. So I just keep on, you know, kind of doing things, mm. hanging out with my girlfriend or playing footy just to kind of keep my mind off it. And it, it yeah, it worked for for a while. It was, it was pretty healthy. Mm. Well, not healthy, sorry, but it felt good to me at the time. Could be worse things. Yeah, <laughs> than definitely hard. worse things, exactly. Yeah. So take us through the day of the accident. Yeah, so um, so I worked. At, I was a warehouse worker at my dad's trucking business, and um, I worked in a freezer, so I was you know, freezing in there all the time. And I came in one morning. Um, I was pretty. I was very tired. I reckon I'd worked a massive day the day before, and I'd come in at six a.m. the next day. Came into the cold room and. There was, only, there was only like three people that worked there or four people in the actual warehouse. So, you know, if you're working a lot together, you get very close. So this guy was one of my best, you know, best mates at the time. He's still one of my good mates. Um, but I came in, said hello to everyone. My dad was driving a forklift in there as well. And uh, I was just chatting to this guy and um, he was like, oh, yeah, like jump on, we'll you know, we'll go take you to where you need to go. And that was such a normal thing. If you work with forklifts all day, you don't think twice about hopping on the back of one and cruising along. But um, I was wrecked and um, he was reversing down a, a ramp. So the ramps go into the back of the trucks and he was reversing down that. And I was sitting on the back, just not thinking about anything, dangling my feet off the edge. And then my boot got caught in between the ground and the wheel of a forklift and basically just sucked me underneath it and it was you know uh, five ton forklifts don't go well on top of you how much of you went under? Uh, so that went all the way i reckon i've got scars all the way up to about here the floor was all sharp metal going out like that so it rips food off of the forklift wheels so you don't mm. cross contaminate and whatnot and that pretty much just sucked my body like all up there, all the flesh just sucked that into it. So oh, that yeah. wasn't nice. And then... Um, Can you describe that moment once you realised what was happening? How quick was it? Oh, it's, it's crazy to think. Like, it just instantly went under and I was like, everything kind of went quiet. Like, just still in my head and I was like, what's going on? And then I looked at my torso and I was under a forklift. I started screaming. I was like, go forward, go forward. And as as he he went forward, he kind of, I don't know, I think he panicked a little bit, obviously, seeing so he made underneath you and kind of flattened the forklift. And when he did that, the wheels gripped onto my leg and basically just degloved all the way down oh. to my ankle. So, you know, ripped 
um, just ripped everything off of the bone pretty much. Uh, you described the pain? I can't really. Uh, it was, all I remember is just feeling uncomfortable, like so uncomfortable, like I didn't want to be there. My dad, well, they came running over and they had to lift the forklift off of my ankle and my, you know, my calf wasn't there. I got my whole calf removed. I had skin grafts. When they lifted the forklift off, like what did your leg look like? On um, so I was, I was lying down because I was still kind of in the floor a bit. Were you conscious the whole time? Yeah, I was. And I remember, yeah, just feeling uncomfortable. And I'm, I didn't look at my leg because my dad was like holding me down because it was just, you know, once you look at it, you start panicking, which happened. And then, yeah. so I, he was holding me down and I was like, dad, I don't want to be here. Just like knock me out. I, I don't want to. It's like, I'm so uncomfortable. And it wasn't, it wasn't painful really because all my nerves just got like fried, just chopped off pretty much. So the pain didn't happen too much, much later. And I was just, just a weird feeling of really, really cold, but then really hot and it's just weird. How were people reacting around you while they were taking the forklift off and, and assessing the damage? Yeah, so, um, it was, I don't remember much of this, but my, I've been filled in from, you know, friends and dad and stuff like that. So they lifted it off um, and kind of started trying to get me out of the floor a little bit and make me a bit more comfortable. And they were all around me kind of, I remember them all just like staring, not, not at me, like mm. at my leg. And I was like, what, like, what is everyone looking at? And then I kind of, just like my dad was holding me down so I couldn't move he pinned me down and I just like managed to look and I could just see bone and then I started freaking out and then everyone else kind of started being like holy shit this is real like what what, what do we do and then uh luckily I think I just said call like yelled call an ambulance because I was like oh my god so one of my friends called an ambulance and that we were working pretty far away out near Elizabeth, so that took, I don't know, I think 25, 30 minutes or something to get there. And the were you, whole time- Were you losing blood? Yeah, losing, like- A lot of blood, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I started getting hell dizzy, like, mm. what's going on? Did you think you might die? Yeah, I, um, I think I did die, apparently, Dad said. Like you were unresponsive? Yeah, like, just died. So <laughs> came back and um, it was in the ambulance and I woke up. Like your heart stopped at some point? I, don't, I couldn't tell you. I've just brought brief details of, yeah, you, you were not in a good stage. I did, I went unresponsive in hospital. Mm. That was a drug issue that the hospital managed to stuff up with me. Right. But um, on the way there, yeah, I kind of came to again and I think that's, when everyone was like, holy shit, again, like, he's coming in and out, this isn't good. Went to the hospital, mum rocked up, she was crying, dad was just like in shock, what do I do? I didn't know what was going on because at that point they just pumped me full of anything they could. So I was feeling pretty good <laughs> for the first time in a while, which was, which was almost nice. And then I think I went into a very, very long miracle surgery where they did manage to save my leg 
the lower half, but it was, yeah, as I said, I, uh, I didn't have a calf. They'd removed all of that. Um, so my foot, your foot doesn't work anymore. I had skin, skin grafts everywhere. So it was all just gross and painful. 85% like of the leg at that point was not yeah, there anymore. Pretty like the much muscle. just gone. And it was, <laughs> it was just not, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a leg at that point in my eyes. I'd look at it and it just made me feel, you know, depressed looking at it. Even when I was out of hospital, like I, people, even people would stare at it and I'd be like, shit. So it was <laughs> there, but it wasn't functional. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was there. I just had no use. Like mm. it couldn't, yeah, couldn't move my foot. It was just dead weight. And it, the nerves were all severed, so it just hurt all the time. And um, that was the worst part, is, was being in like agony for, what, seven or eight months. And that really messes with your head, like changes your perspective on everything. So that was, you know, I felt just lost for a, for a while. And, um, yeah, the amputation was kind of like, the light at the end of the tunnel almost. So I was just really pushing for that. And they didn't really want to do that because they just managed to save my leg, which they were all pretty happy about. But yeah. When you woke up from that initial surgery, did you know how long it had been? Oh, I can't even, I reckon I remember I woke up and I was you know, high as a kite and mm. I called my girlfriend and I was just talking shit. And then I just fell asleep. So I think I think the surgery went for a good like eight hours, nine hours probably. What about when you woke up from that sleep? What were you thinking? Um, yeah, well, I woke up and I was just thinking like something's not right. I, f I don't feel like the drugs aren't feeling right. And I went just gray, like my face went gray. My body just went like dead. And I remember like lying there and I couldn't, couldn't move my arms, couldn't move my head. And then I started like freaking out. I was like, what, what's going on? And um, I kind of like looked over and like mum was looking at me and she was like, oh, what, what did he, he doesn't look right. So she called, called a nurse in who um, came in and she was just clueless, didn't know anything about anything, unfortunately, which, kind of caused me to go into unresponsive again, which was quite scary because my mum and my dad were both standing in the corner of the room watching as 10 doctors rushing around me, bloody putting tubes in me and, you know, plugging me into wall sockets and whatnot. So all of a sudden you were dying basically? Yeah, all of a sudden, yeah, I was dying. And I remember um, I blacked out and the last thing I remember was the nurse the, that was originally there just said like oh I, I don't speak English to the to the doctors because they were like like um can you plug I don't know it might have been life support or something like that can you plug that in she was like I don't know what you're talking about yeah. and then I just blacked out not very reassuring no not at all that wasn't fun but yeah so that wasn't a good start to my yeah. little holiday but you hospital. woke up again though I did <laughs> yeah. woke up and that that was bad because I woke up without majority of the um, painkiller medication that I was was on because obviously that didn't work for me the first time. So I woke so up. So they'd and messed just, up the drugs. That's why that happened. Yeah, that was that was on them big time. And um, 
yeah, still not too happy about that, yeah. but you know, what can you do? When did you first come to grips with what had happened to your leg? Yeah, that was, that sucked. That was one of the worst, at the time it was one of like the worst moment of my life was kind of the doctor coming in and he just like looked at me and was like, you, the chance of you walking again are very, very low. And then I had like six more surgeries or something. Yeah, like just back to back to try and, you know, do everything they could to get my foot to be able to move. And that just didn't didn't work. And it was just like let down after let down. What about the moments when you're by yourself and you're looking at what your leg had become? Uh, I was, yeah, I was portrayed as a pretty like tough guy through school, like, you know, I was working and I enjoyed kickboxing and boxing and stuff like that. But I remember being on my own and all I wanted was my mum. I was just like, fuck, please. I, I just need need my mum or my dad in here. Like, there's nothing else I want because I was just, it was, I was scared to be alone mm. in there because I was just so, I was so low at the time. And I was like, there was nothing I could do. Like usually pre-accident, I was you know, had depression and I was, got really depressed. I could always kind of, you know, I could do something that would get my mind off it, but there was nothing in the world that could stop me from thinking about my leg. And obviously that's not healthy at all. And I just didn't eat for, I lost like 15 or 16 kilos in three weeks. What turned into a twig, mm. um, couldn't sleep because I'd just wake up in the night just screaming. It was just a horrible, horrible time. Not good memories from that one. <laughs> and what did you think about the whole situation at that time? Like, how were you viewing it? Like, your future and yeah, these sorts of things? That, it was so difficult to see a future. That I was just so flat. I was like, if I'm coming out of the hospital and I'm like this, there's no point in me being alive anymore. Like, I'd prefer to be dead. And um, then I remember one day the doctor came in and he just said, we're probably going to amputate your leg next surgery. And I was like, at the time, I was like, oh, my God, what What do you mean? And he just walked straight out and no, no questions. I was like, thanks for that. Yeah, 19-year-old <laughs> chilling in a hospital bed, wigging out on ketamine. So I was just like, started freaking out. And then, like, Dad was there. I've never seen my dad cry, but we both just sobbed for hours. Because to that point, you'd thought that amputation would be the worst thing. Yeah, it was just in my mind. I didn't, like, I hadn't really thought about it. Mm. And obviously, just that getting thrown in you is just such a massive punch in the face. That you're just like, like, whoa, that's a permanent injury. Like, mm. you know, you can't regrow a leg once it's chopped off. To being the guy who's got one leg. Yeah, exactly. And then people are staring at you even more. Mm. Which well, that's what you thought anyway. Yeah, 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 exactly. So it was a, you know, but I remember maybe a day after getting told, I kind of went on my phone and started, you know, looking through pictures of amputees and their lifestyle and stuff like that. And slowly, I was kind of like, I, I would prefer this because I can see myself having a future and whatnot. But then, as soon as I wanted it. The, they didn't want to do it, so oh, right. they're like, oh, no, no, you, you've, you've got the leg, we'll keep it, and whatever, wait to see in six months' time, and then we'll re-decide. Is that what happened? 
Uh, yeah, so a long, long time went by. Um, that must have been frustrating. And you were thinking that whole time that you did want to have an amputee? Yeah, the whole time I was set. I didn't... And that wasn't your call? No, it wasn't my call, which was interesting. That mm. surprised me that very, very much. But um, it finally, they started talking about it. Uh, my mental health started improving. So that seven months period while you still had the leg there, you didn't want it there anymore by yeah. that phase, that must have been more difficult in another way because now you've got this part of yourself yeah, that you exactly. no longer want to have there but and it's, and it's your body but you're not even yeah. being allowed to it was hard man it was so hard like i i can't like i can't explain it it was just the worst it was the most horrible feeling not being in control of your own future when like you're set on what you want and you know that that's the only way that you're going to be happy and you're not going to be in pain you know, you're going to be able to go out and spend time with your girlfriend or go out with your family without being drugged up out of your mind. And you feel like your life's just on pause because every day yeah. you wake up and that same still problem there. is still there yeah. and, and there's, there's no way of fixing it at this time. Yeah, and it just sucked. Like, I'd go out and people would... My leg looked mangled, like, disgusting. And people would just, like, stare at it and... Rightfully so now looking back, but I remember that made used to make me feel like lower than anything. Like I almost like I wasn't a human. Like people were just like like I was in a zoo or something, they were staring at me. Mm. And, you know, that really that really messed me up Did and that make of, you not go out? Yeah, so I wouldn't really leave my bed, just sit in bed all day. Mm. I'd only go out for rehab, which was painful, but you know, I forced myself to do that twice a day every day um you know then i have doctor's appointments and stuff like that but going out in public voluntarily i, I wouldn't really do it I would, unless i was wearing long pants which was middle of summer i wouldn't do it so did you feel like you were in danger mental health wise in that period um it was not really actually in hospital if i could have done anything i reckon i probably would have but then coming out of hospital, I think I knew that I'd put so many people on in a shit situation, which sounds weird, but like I'd, you know, I'd mess with my mum and dad's head enough. And I was like, right, I can't be selfish well, you can, now. You also saw how much you mean. Yeah, exactly. Like everyone was kind of like, I had so many messages, like whatnot. I couldn't respond to all of them, but it was, it was nice to see that and kind of pushed me through that whole entire time. Just like thought it was almost selfish if I did do anything because I had all of these people going out of their way to help me and you know, just that was a real And you saw a future in being an amputee. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, so that was the light at the end of the tunnel and I was like, I'm just, just gonna push through until then, I'll be fine. That kept getting pushed back and back and I was just like getting tired and I was sick of it. And it was, I remember, so I was meant to get a below knee, like down here. Um, and that's completely different to an above knee amputation. Um, it's almost like a different disability. So I was coming up to the surgery. We booked a date in kind of like a rough kind of time when I was going to be getting it. 
And about three weeks before my amputation was set to happen, my mum got a call and I was kind of sitting there in the kitchen and she was just like hung up and just said it straight. She was like, you're not going to be able to get a below knee anymore. You have, it's going to be an above knee. And I remember that hit me and that was like, holy shit. <laughs> like the one thing that I've been looking forward to and that has been getting me through has just been thrown away once again. Another can you, letdown. Can you explain the difference? So walking with a knee is obviously completely different than not having a knee and having just to use a mechanical knee. It takes like 60 or 70% more effort just to walk than it does a normal person right. or able-bodied person, sorry. And it's it was just kind of like, all the doctors had all told me, because in, in the hospital, I was like, yeah, let's like get it amputated. And they were like, if we get it amputated now, it's going to be an above knee and you don't want that. So that was your reason for, yeah. you thought, for not doing it back Exactly. Then. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll wait. Mm. I'll wait. I don't want an above knee because all of the things they've told me have just been bad about it. Like no one has said a good thing about having an above knee amp. And you waited and then they waited. did it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Next minute they're like, yeah. How come? Above knee amputations are good. They get your calf down here and flap it around. So it kind of protects your bone from going straight through. Right, yep. And obviously I didn't have a calf to do that with uh, okay. and I didn't have enough skin for them to make a flap. Right. So and they couldn't get it from anywhere else. No, they couldn't yeah. couldn't do. I already had skin grafts everywhere at that point. So it was just like right. you know, it was it, that really <laughs> put things into perspective again. Once I that was going to affect what you were able to do athletically. Yeah, everything. That was going to affect anything. Like, stuff. Get it, even just like getting around the house. Mm. Like, it's a lot harder yeah, to just harder. slap on a mechanical knee than, you know, kind of jump into a below knee. So I was kind of like really, really, really depressed at that just for about a day. Mm. And I was like, well, I remember going for a walk. Oh, not a walk, a wheel. <laughs> And I was just like thinking, I was like, I can't do this anymore. I, this is just too much. Like I keep getting, I keep moving forward one step and then just, it felt like I was just getting thrown 50 steps back every time I'd get a small win. But then I kind of woke up the next day and Jed Altschwager had been messaging me like crazy and I just wasn't replying to anyone. I was just like, nah. And I replied to Jed and he was like, let's go out, get coffee, and I'll introduce you to Darren Hicks, who won a few gold medals at the Paralympics as a cyclist. And um, I remember meeting him and everything changed. Like, he walked over to me and I was just like staring at his leg in awe. I was like, oh my God, like, that's so cool. Like, wow. And I was asking him questions and slowly I was like, kind of my life kind of kept coming back to me a bit. And I was like, mm. Like, this is something that could be good. Like, there's lots of possibilities. What were those guys saying to you? They'd answer any question, no matter what. And it was just so good and, like, refreshing to get answers because the hospital wouldn't give me any. No one would talk to me about it because no one really knew about it. And it was just amazing to talk to them and just, like, like little things. How, like, how do you get around the house? 
like you get really good at hopping and stuff like that that just made me feel like amazing what did they say about the above knee versus below knee they didn't sugarcoat it darren said it's, it's shit like it's not fun at the start it's going to be the hardest thing you ever do in your life but once you get through it you can you know nothing else is really going to stop you in your life mm. so you just keep going forwards and i was like kind of stuck with me for a bit and i was like he's he's right and like shit's hard now as it is why not just you know go above knee and try it out yeah like it's already been pretty hard yeah exactly point. i was like kind of thinking when he said that i was like oh how much harder can it be then i got it amputated because i'm moving forward a bit so i got it amputated and i was like yes oh my god i'm not in any pain this is in hospital and i woke up but obviously i was you know ketamine in one arm morphine fentanyl everything oxys um and i was like oh it's sick two days two days after my amputation i was like yes i'm good take me off everything i'm going home discharge myself after two days after getting my leg chopped off which looking back was the dumbest thing i've ever done in my life which is pretty big so that was <laughs> against the recommendation yeah against against the recommendation of the doctors i just hated hospital mm. from past experiences and you've been there a long time now yeah exactly and i was just like get me out of here what what i'm doing now i can do at home mm. and i was in no pain because all the drugs were in me so they took the drugs out and i was like still in no pain but my mum said don't don't you leave hospital like don't do it because once the drugs are out of your system, you're in trouble. I was like, nah, shut up, mum, I'm fine. <laughs> Got home, laid down in bed, and I started feeling like someone was just stabbing my foot over and over again. And I was like, oh, this hurts. And then I was like, I don't have a foot, what? And I kind of looked at it, and it kept getting worse and worse and worse to the point where I was like, just, in my bed screaming couldn't do anything that was phantom pain so the brain remembers but brain it's remembers there. it's there because the nerves remember it was there and then obviously the nerves get chopped off i can't even describe it because my brain won't let me remember what it was like but vaguely it was just the worst pain you'd ever felt and then it kept going getting worse and worse until you just black out Fire. and then you'd sleep for three hours and then you'd wake up again and your brain would be tired so it'd keep doing it shouldn't would the pain be there when you woke up again? no so i'd wake up and i'd be good again and then i'd start getting tired and it'd start getting happening again and i'd be like shit and it just kept getting worse i'd always told myself i was like i'm not getting phantom pains i'd talked to a lot of amputees and they'd said it's it's a mental thing like you can stop mm-hmm. it when <laughs> if you say you're not going to get them you won't get them okay I said I wasn't going to get him. I got him. <laughs> it just threw me straight back into where I was before. And So what did you do? Did you go back to hospital? Well, I, I refused. I was, right. like, I, I was ready to die. I was like, nah. Stubborn, maybe? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I just, I had like mad PTSD from just everything in hospital. Mm. I still go in there and I'm like, just on edge. Oh, fair enough. Not comfortable. Of course. Been through some horrible stuff in there. So. Yeah, exactly. And then... Thank God, my caseworker, she's amazing for my like work cover caseworker. She got me into the Flinders rehab facility, the new one for mm. amputees. And 
I went, I remember going in there. It was almost a breath of fresh air. It was like, okay, this place is really nice. All the nurses are really nice. And I'm not in much pain because I was getting some drugs while I was there because it was also a hospital still. Um, and that helped for a while, but then I started kind of, you know, mental health kept getting worse because I was still getting phantom pains. And they were trying to teach me how to stop them with like mirror therapy and stuff, which is a whole nother podcast in itself. Right. But um, nothing was really working for me. And, um, and this was constant throughout the day? This only when your brain gets tired. Right. So once your brain starts getting tired, it just hits you mm. and then you can't sleep because it hurts so bad. Okay. So then you're constantly tired. You might sleep a bit. You'd so, wake up. You'd be it's like, "It's a very vicious Sick. cycle." Oh, it sucked. Yeah, it sucked so much. But um, it toughened me up a lot. Um, yeah. It kept it kept getting worse and worse every night. I remember sitting in my bed. I'm pretty open now. I was sitting in my bed just crying. What is my life? I'm 19. I, you know, a year ago, I was out partying every night with my friends, having fun. You'd had so much torment by this time as yeah, well. Yeah, exactly. Like it had was, gone for such a long time. Yeah, and I'd al always said amputation was a good thing. So in my head, I was like, this is going to be a good thing. And then when it wasn't, it just it felt like I'd almost been betrayed. Like I was just like, oh, right, thanks. And then there's no way back from there, obviously. So I was kind of had to deal with it, which I did. I dealt with it as much as I could. And then kind of relied on the drugs to get me through for a bit. And once they stopped really working, because the phantom pain just kept getting worse and worse to the point where the drugs stopped working. And I remember lying in bed one night crying and um, a nurse came in and I was just like, just leave me alone. Like I don't, I just want to be on my own right now. And she like sat down. She was a nurse working on the amputee ward and she pulled her pants up a little bit and she was an amputee as well. I was just like, oh my God, what? And she kind of talked to me throughout for the next few hours, kind of talking me through through things because I hadn't really seen an amputee like since I'd got the phantom pains. I hadn't seen Jed mm. or Darren or anything. They just told me vaguely like, yeah, this will happen. Try and do this. She left the room and I was like lying there waiting just to get punched in the face by phantom pains. And it just didn't didn't happen. And I was just like waiting all night. I didn't sleep. I was just waiting for it to happen. And it didn't happen because I just kept like waiting and waiting and then nothing. And I got really happy. So I was doing good again. Then, so at least you knew it was possible to not have it. Yeah. So that kind of got that little point in time where I just didn't get any. And then it kind of it came back a bit, but I'd... I had ways to stop it and it was pretty much just a waiting game waiting for it to kind of and how's it been since then in terms of your capacity to be able to control it somewhat yeah good so it it goes for like six four to six weeks kind of so i was just i was getting little bits throughout the day and i'd you know i'd push through it and at night i'd dose myself up on oxy and you know bit of this bit of that whatever get through just kept doing that day to day, trying to just wait, wait it out. And then oh, I haven't had phantom pains in months now. And it, awesome. it, it's so weird because like <laughs> one minute 
all the techniques that I was doing, kind of one minute it'd be there and it'd be hurting. And then I'd start thinking this thing and it'd just stop. Mm. And you just... Such a weird thing to deal oh, with. Oh my God, it was... It just drained you. Like, <laughs> drained you like nothing you'd ever feel Because you had to be conscious of it to yeah. try to switch it off. You always had to be thinking, thinking my leg's not there, so stop hurting. All the time, all day, every day. And, and if the, it wasn't hurting, you were waiting for it to hurt. Yeah, exactly. So it was... That phantom pain just ruled my life. Like, that, that was all I was kind of around for just waiting for phantom pain and then when it stopped it's just the best thing ever like when i could go out all day stay up at night if i wanted to didn't have to take copious amounts of oxycodone Mm. started slowly getting off drugs still am slowly getting off the drugs which was just a really it was a win kind of making me then you got a staph infection yeah then i got hit with a staph infection but that was kind of it was almost not bad at that point. It was just like a little black dot that the doctor said, oh, it's fine. It's just a black dot. And my mum was like, it doesn't look fine. And kind of ignored it for a while. Mm. But yeah, phantom pain stopped. I was happy, good, ready to get into a prosthetic. Staph infection. <laughs> Got a big old hole in the end of my stump, mm. which is now cleared up this week, which has been amazing. But, um, so now you can finally get a prosthetic. Yep. So everything's kind of, this week has just been amazing. I've, well, this and then and I Finally have, over the hump. Yeah, exactly. Of, yeah. It's kind of like I've just been fighting an uphill battle and then I'm finally just... And a battle that's taken so much longer exactly. than you thought it would. I don't know. Oh, my God. But so, yeah, tomorrow, tomorrow's my birthday, actually. Oh, there you go. And I'm getting, you know, taking a step towards getting my license back which is huge for me. Um, then the next day I'm getting prosthetic fitting. And the next day I've got something else on. And then the week after I'm actually getting a prosthetic. So it's just like, your life, surreal. Your life's coming back. It's, it's almost weird being happy. It's like, yeah. it's like, damn, something's wrong, kind of. Oh, but it's, so, good, it's so good, yeah. Yeah, because you far out, you've been through enough. <laughs> yeah. I reckon. I reckon it's time I have a little bit of a break, maybe. Yeah. So what did help throughout this whole time? And I'm speaking mentally. Like, what did help and what didn't help? My girlfriend was a massive, massive um, help. Without her, I I wouldn't be here. No way. Um, My mum and dad, also massive help. They They wouldn't sleep if I wasn't sleeping. And I didn't sleep very much, so... They were having a pretty rough time. Dad was still working full time, trying to run a business that was getting kicked in the ass because some dickhead got run over by a forklift there a few months before. And then, you know, little brothers and sisters as well, they kind of get looked over, but I found that it affected them big time as well. You don't really think about that as much because it was all, the attention was all on me, which I didn't really like. What about them being there helped you? Just having someone with me, someone that I didn't have to say like, yeah, I'm, I'm okay, like it doesn't hurt. Someone that I could just be like, my life sucks. <laughs> this is the worst. And then they'd be like, shut up. It's, you're going to get through it. You'll be fine. Okay, just keep, keep going. And then they'd, you know, they'd make life really special. 
in the little ways that you don't think about. And it was just, yeah, stuff like that helped me. Did it bring you closer together? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Before my injury, yeah, I wasn't going anywhere. I was a bit of a dropkick, really. Um, drinking every single night, doing other things I shouldn't have been doing. Um, had no real relationship with my mum and dad anymore. I just worked with my dad. Oh, yeah. And then this happened. So there was a bit of a rift there because of your attitude? Yeah, I was living with my girlfriend at her house at the time. And then this happened and I just such a like new perspective. I was like, oh my God, I've been such a dick to my family. Like I haven't even seen them in months. And now they're all here 24 seven looking after me. And I was just like, oh, like I owe everything to my family. It's like, they've been incredible throughout the whole entire thing. So my girlfriend and, you know, other amputees, but like, it's huge. It's a huge um, change when an able-bodied person becomes a non-able-bodied person in your family and it can happen to anyone like that. So it's just weird, weird to think about really. What did you learn about yourself? I'm not as tough as I thought I was. Yeah, you're pretty tough. Yeah, yeah. I learned a lot. I learned that looking at someone who doesn't look the same as you makes them feel worse than an able-bodied person could ever imagine. And that took me a while to kind of get over it. I've slowly, now I'm like proud of myself. I'm like, yeah, I don't have a leg. I'm, I'm kicking, whatever. But before it was like, people would look at me and I'd just feel like I want to curl up in a ball. I was like, nah, can't do it. So, you know, just, there's just little things that you don't think about that. And then when it happens to you, you're like massive part of your life. So yeah. How's it made you a better person? Yeah, I'm a much, much better person from what I was. Been sober since my accident, pretty much. Don't drink anymore. I've reconnected with my family. I've stopped kind of not being aggressive, but if someone wasn't being very nice to me, I'm not trying to go out and fight them anymore. I'm just like, yeah, whatever, man, good on you. That's chilled me out a lot, really, I think. And I don't know, I just reckon I've changed my life a lot for the better. And I've put myself in a good position now to, you know, live a good, good life, really. Yeah, and it seems to me like you're very keen to live. Yeah, I'm just, it's almost weird. Like, um, I still get days where I'm, you know, flat and I'm like, the whole world's against me, but. You've had a few of those. Yeah, (laughs) it's a little bit like that sometimes. But, um, you know, I get through that day and then I'm like, right, tomorrow's gonna be a good day then I make it a good day. So, I don't know, you, you kind of force yourself to almost be happy with yourself in a way. Yeah. Yeah, and it's not about being happy all the time. And no. what you've got now is all this evidence of times in the past where you were having a really bad day and yeah, you made it through that day and then there was a better day ahead of that. And exactly. you know that that'll come again. Doesn't yeah. make it easier when it's happening, no. when, you're, when you're feeling really yeah. shit. Um, but you know that you can get through it and that there, there's better things on the yeah, horizon. Yeah, and that makes life so much more like special as well. I was just going through the motions before, you know, going working, coming home, drinking, going to bed, doing the same thing every day. Yeah, not wanting to engage and yeah, be in the moment. I was happy just to be looked over and 
to be forgotten about, do my own thing. But now this has happened, I'm like, right, I'm in a position where people can look up to me. And it's been, you know, it's been pretty cool having people message you, asking questions, and if they, they're sad, I'll get a message. And it's, it's yeah. almost nice to be the person that people look at and they're like, oh, he's happy now, which is, it's pretty cool. So you've come a long way. I've come a very long way. So what's important? Uh, it's important to just step back and look at the bigger picture instead of, you know, keep on looking straight ahead and doing what you're doing. Like, it's never going to hurt you kind of looking at other options and, you know, just doing things that ultimately are going to make you happy instead of, in the long run, instead of in the short term, like just doing whatever you want and feeling like shit when you wake up the next morning. So it's, yeah, just important to, you know, look at things differently. Mm. And it's worth holding on even when it really feels like it's not. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, that was, that's a big, that's a big part of everything really. Um, you know, shit goes wrong. You've got to learn how to get through that. And, you know, I'm sure if, if I've done it, I'm sure some other people can do it as well, which is nice to know that people kind of think that when they're feeling like shit. But yeah, just kept going, kept digging, and somehow made it through. Yeah, yeah, got a long way to go yet. A very long way to go, yeah. but it's looking good anyway. I'm excited to work hard again, which I wasn't beforehand. So, you know, life's changed, I guess. Yeah, wow, you should be proud of the man that you are now, man. Thank you very much. I appreciate Thanks that. sharing that story. Thank you. No, it's been a long story. <laughs> That's it for this episode. If you're getting some value out of the show, please help us out with a quick rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Everything we do is recorded in video, so follow Youngblood Men's Mental Health on Instagram and Facebook and Youngblood Mental Health on TikTok. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and please leave us a comment or send us a message if these stories resonate. We'd love to hear from you. You can sign up to our e-news through our website, youngbloodmedia.com.au. And most importantly, please share the podcast with anyone in your life who might need it. We're all about reaching as many people as we can. This is Youngblood. Thanks for being part of the mission. Catch you next time.